We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to an off-season edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. We are back. Nick Whalen here with Alex Marutha. Uh, Alex, it has been a, a long, long layoff for us, as is typical. You, know, you and I have been doing this pod for a few years now. Uh, but we continue with episodes all the way through the NBA Finals. We, we take a, a much-needed break uh, for a couple of months here during the off-season. But uh, even though the NFL season is literally exactly a week away, uh, there, there's plenty going on in the world of fantasy basketball. Uh, you've been doing a great job setting up mock drafts, setting up rankings. Uh, we've had a ton of content going up on the site throughout the offseason. And uh, again, it feels like we are we are in football mode, but we are not that far away. Less than two months from the start of the NBA season. No, I know we're in football mode because my aunt uh, invited me to join a fantasy football league through the, I think, official NFL fantasy app. Uh, which was very ah. confusing, which is very confusing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. I will certainly be using Rotowire, uh, the rankings to help me with that draft because I got to be honest, I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to fantasy I've, football. I've never used the NFL app for that. That's that, that must be like the preferred app for aunts who are setting up right. leagues. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I all due respect to it, I'm sure it's a great app. I mean, who I feel like everybody uses, you know, ESPN, Yahoo, CBS. Right. Um, you know, in our industry, you know, there's all these kind of specialty websites for for higher stakes contests. Um, yeah, you got to be really in the weeds, I think, to be using the official NFL app. You just must be a huge fan of the league. Well, I mean, I just typed NFL Fantasy into Google, and that's kind of the first thing that comes mm-hmm. up. So I'm sure that's exactly what the what the process ended up being. Uh, but yes, on the on the NBA side, I mean, you can say this for every sport these days. The off season is shorter and shorter, and we've been pumping out yep. content for a long time. Um, you know, I I thought uh, the the draft and summer league are really interesting. Now we're getting FIBA that's keeping yep. the NBA in the news cycle, and I think affecting drafts to some extent. 
Yeah, unfortunately, these FIBA games are tipping off at like 4.30 a.m. our time uh, here in, in Wisconsin. So I've, I've had to, you know, watch the condensed games on YouTube. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, Team USA, I thought looked, I wouldn't say shaky, but didn't look dominant necessarily in, in some of the exhibitions and the scrimmages leading up to, to FIBA. But they've looked really, really good now, three games in. They, they've already clinched their advancement uh, through, through pool play. And, um, you know, obviously not, not a ton of fantasy takeaways there. But I, to me, like the... <laughs> The continued rise of Austin Reeves is is the right. biggest takeaway from FIBA. It is. I actually ended up drafting him in this mock draft we're about to cover. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting because you know before professionals were allowed in international basketball, it ended up being just a bunch of young guys, college guys, mm-hmm. and then you know in the '90s and into the 2000s, it was the best basically veteran players in the NBA. And now more so we're trending back towards the young guys with Reeves and mm-hmm. Caro and Tyrese Halliburton and, and Anthony Edwards. Um, but yeah, Reeves, I mean, if anybody had any sort of doubt that like what Reeves did at the end of last season and in the playoffs was some sort of flash in the pan, I think, um, I think it's pretty clear that he, that he is actually very good. It's, it's another crazy hit for the Lakers who, you know, have made it really before LeBron arrived. And you could even argue some of the decisions that this franchise has made since then. I mean, it was a, a comedy of errors, right. It, it, as far as how they, it oftentimes made the right draft pick, but didn't develop players, gave up on players too early. You know, you, you could even think of somebody like uh, Ivica Zubac, you know, who I think they, yeah. didn't they just give him away for like Mike Muscala or something? There was, you know, there were so many moves here, you know, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, obviously those guys were cashed in for Anthony Davis. So, you know, it's not like those were wastes, but uh, you know, they, they've, they've somehow found ways to continue to generate value late in the draft. I mean, from Alex Caruso was kind of the original Austin Reeves. And now Austin Reeves arrives as like a way better version of Caruso. Right. And that's, I mean, that's before like Ingram and Lonzo ball and Julius Randall, like that was yeah. a, that Kuz, something was happening there. Um, that Zubach trade you were referring to. I had a feeling it included Michael Beasley and it did. Um, Zubach was <laughs> traded uh, by the Lakers with Michael Beasley to the Clippers oh, for Lord. Yes. Mike Muscala. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah what, what a run for the Lakers in the draft. I mean, I, I think it really starts with uh, the Julius Randle pick in 2014, because that was that was kind of right around the the time that I think they had signed Kobe to that like preposterous legacy deal. Um, and they just they, they knew what they were signing up for for a couple of years. But I mean, Julius Randle, Larry Nance, D'Angelo Russell, Zubach, yeah. Ingram, Lonzo Ball, uh, Mo Wagner, who's actually turned into a decent role player. Uh, you know, they, they technically drafted DeAndre Hunter. That was part of the Anthony Davis trade. Uh, you know, all these guys are like rotation players, if, if not, you know, borderline stars in the case of Ingram and Russell and Lonzo and, and Randall. None of those guys are on the Lakers anymore. I mean, it, it's just a, a crazy, crazy turnaround for how many high picks they had. And uh, again, you know, when you cast those in for Anthony Davis, it, it's a little different than just straight up giving up on players. But uh, nonetheless, I, I don't even know how we got on this topic. The last thing I want to do is do a Los Angeles Lakers draft retrospective all the way back to 2010. Right. You mentioned the the mock draft. Um, we've been doing these, you know, once every couple of weeks. Uh, you've been doing them even a little bit more frequently with some guys around the industry, which, by the way, we're, we're excited to, you know, once the, the regular season comes around, do this pod a lot more frequently. You know, we're hoping to put out four or five episodes per week. We'll be bringing in more guests from around the industry. We'll be bringing in uh, more of our, our, our NBA staff, which has been beefed up over the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, the, the episodes will still be, relatively sporadic, you know, from now until probably mid-September. But once we kick this pod into high gear, we'll have a lot more episodes and a lot more content coming your way all the way through the regular season. Anyway, the mock draft. 
we did this one on Yahoo. This was eight category roto settings, you know, pretty basic what you're going to find in most leagues. Although Yahoo, you know, is really trying to go toward nine category, including turnovers, of course. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you set the scene here. You were picking sixth. I was picking 10th. Yeah, I'll say, like you mentioned, if you play with default Yahoo settings, um, I think their default is technically head-to-head points. But if you shift the categories, it will be nine cat and it will be a two center league. I flexed this down to a one center league and then added a utility mm-hmm. spot just because that's how I prefer to play it. But keep that in mind if you're just like setting up a Yahoo default league. Um, yeah, I, I invited guys around the industry. Like you mentioned, we'll be doing a lot of mocks, um, trying to do more mocks than we have in, in years past because especially at this point in the year, like ADP data, it, I want to say it doesn't matter, but it's mostly just people mock drafting. Um, mm. And so it's almost better at this point to reference mock drafts rather than ADP if you're if you're right. um, if you have a super early draft. Yeah, I, I actually thought the ADP data was pretty good. Um, you know, obviously we're we're still pretty early in the fantasy basketball draft cycle, but I think the people who are doing drafts are are people like us who uh, right. you know either do this for a living or, or kind of you know eat, sleep, and breathe fantasy basketball. So the, I, the only outlier I could think of was like for some reason Will Barton was like really high uh, in the ADP. I don't know if everybody's kind of in on a, a Will Barton bounce back, but for the most part, I, I thought it was really sharp. And, you know, everybody that was in this mock draft, you know, some Rotowire guys, some guys from around the industry, it's like I every mock that we've done, I, I, I rarely feel like I'm getting value. You know, at, at one point right. I had three guys in my queue and all three went with the three picks before me. Yep, that's, that's exactly how I felt. There were a couple of times where, I got some guys that I was, you know, that I was really hoping to get. Um, I think this is back-to-back drafts that I've gotten both Jason Tatum and Pascal Siakam. Um, and I uh, that book ended a, a Trey Young pick. But yeah, I didn't, you know, it was a combination of, um, like, yes, it's really sharp, but I also mm. got some guys that I wanted. Like, I looked at your team and I thought, like, throughout the draft, and I thought you were doing well, too. Um, but there were a couple opportunities where I felt like I kind of got sniped, like, I ended up taking Cam Johnson in the sixth, and I felt like I I really wanted Julius Randle in that spot. But of course, like you know, he, he was going to get taken. He probably should have got taken yeah. even sooner than that. I, Randall's an interesting one because I, I feel like his his like reputation as a real life player has kind of come and you know it's, it, it swings every year. You know, like a couple of years ago, he he had his ascent and then he fell back down, and then last year was kind of in the middle. Uh, but I, I actually think he's probably a better fantasy player than we think of him as. Uh, in terms of consistency, in terms of staying healthy, you know, the three-point shooting came back a little bit last year. Uh, I, I felt like I was getting sniped kind of later in the draft. Like I had, I had Onyeka Kongwu, Wendell Carter, and John Collins all earmarked in my queue. And I'm like, all right, I'm getting one of these guys. And those were the three who went in a row uh, right before <laughs> me. I, I was forced to take Spencer Dinwiddie. I, I, I did like my team here. And, you know, there's so much talent at the top of the league that it's really hard to come out of those first like three or four rounds and feel like you're not getting great value or you're not getting, you know, guys who have top 30, top 25 potential. Um, but I, I did kind of mess up positionally. I, I was not really paying the closest attention. I, I'm very, very, very guard heavy here. Um, I, I can't really suffer any injuries at the forward position. I, I think I have like four forward eligible players on my roster. That's one thing to pay a lot of attention to um, early in mocks. I think that's the thing you kind of get out of your system. Like, a lot of people who are casual players, they don't mock draft, right? They just, they jump in and they do their draft. But when you do a couple of mocks, you realize like the things you aren't paying attention to. And usually for people that's positions and especially center. Now we only had a one center league. I did a draft before um, that was held by Josh Lloyd. 
And that was a two center standard Yahoo categories league. And I think I grabbed three centers within my first five picks because I was like, and Pascal Siakam qualifies at center, by the way, that's like a really easy way to, to shore that up. Um, but Yahoo, I think is actually pretty liberal with their positions, but yeah, you should definitely like paying attention to multi-position guys. Like that's something I try to emphasize, Mm -hmm. you know, to like people who are new to fantasy basketball. Um, if a guy's multi-position eligible, they should probably just get a bump in the rankings, even though that's basically impossible to reflect. Um, so those guys are really important. Yeah. And it, it varies widely site to site. And yes. that, that is something that that's really important. And, you know, I think we, we, we need to figure out a way to, um, you know, either, either manually kind of bump those guys up our rankings or, you know, kind of bake that in when you set which league you're in, because, you know, Kyrie Irving, for example, is point guard and shooting guard eligible. Whereas someone like Damian Lillard is, is just point guard eligible. LaMelo Ball has, has shooting guard eligibility on Yahoo for some reason. Um, you know, you could, you could get, Anthony Edwards at shooting guard and, and small forward. So yeah, Yahoo does tend to be a little bit more lenient, which I prefer, honestly. I, yeah. I think with the, you know, if you're setting weekly lineups, especially with the amount of load management, with the amount of injuries that we've had over the last couple of years, I I, I don't I don't really think it's like a, you know you're not really dumbing it down by by adding some some more flexible position eligibility. No, and I will say, and I I wrote about this: the two types of position eligibility that are the most valuable are power forward, center, because centers are a position of scarcity, and then also shooting guard, small forward, because if they're mm. a shooting guard, small forward, they can also fill your guard and forward spots. If a guy's only point guard and shooting guard eligible, he just fills the guard spot. And there's actually somebody who I specifically in Yahoo leagues think should be targeted way way higher, not way higher because he goes fairly early. Anyway, but Franz Wagner on Yahoo qualifies at shooting guard, small forward, and power forward. Now, he went at the end of the fifth round in our draft, which I think is a pretty good spot to get him. But based on his ADP, which I don't have the top off the top of my head right now, although I can get in one second, his ADP is 69 right now. So I think he should probably actually be closer to where he got drafted, which is like the fifth round just because of the super flexibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Wagner's an interesting case. Like his, we, we have a great ADP report page, which you can find on Rotowire. And, you know, it'll give you ESPN, CBS, Yahoo, Underdog, Fantrax, ESPN, uh, auction values as well. Uh, and then you get a composite, uh, which, and he's all over the place, right? I, I think it, it yeah. depends on position eligibility. It depends on your scoring settings. Uh, but I, I really like Franz Wagner. I mean, he's, I think if you're a relatively casual player, you're like, okay, this, you know, he's, he's been fine through his first two years, but super, super solid all around, you know, not going to hurt you in any category. He's gotten incrementally better uh, in each of the last two seasons. So I, I have no problem taking a guy like that around pick 60. Uh, l- let's back up here though, and just go through the first round. Uh, I'll read them in order. This was a 12 team mock, believe it or not. Nikola Jokic goes one, one. Uh, we then had Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Halliburton, SGA at five, Jason Tatum, six, Kevin Durant, seven, Stephen Curry, 8, Anthony Edwards, 9, LaMelo Ball, 10, Anthony Davis, 11, and Jaron Jackson Jr. sneaking his way into the first round at 12. Yeah, that was Jason's uh, back-to-back at the turn, Jaron Jackson Jr., Giannis picks, which I actually like. Mm-hmm. You, get two, you get two guys who qualify at center right out of the gate, actually, on Yahoo. And I think Jaron Jackson, I mean, Jaron Jackson was a second-round player last year. Should mm-hmm. get more offensive touches this year without um, Morant, right? So... I think people yeah. might see Triple J go 12th and be like, that feels early, but I I think he's actually in a really good position this year. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I mean, he he had 
the injury issues, you know, coming into last year, didn't miss as many games as we expected. Uh, you know, in years past, that was a, a big time issue for him coming, you know, his first few years in the league. But to me, he seemingly moved past that. And, you know, I, I think you're right that there's going to be increased value for Jared Jackson, for Desmond Bain, for Marcus Smart, you know, those first 20 games of the year with no John Morant. And obviously once John comes back, you know, things will stabilize. He'll become uh, the main guy on offense, but 20 games is, is not nothing. I mean, that's, that's a quarter of the season where, you know, Jared Jackson is essentially acting as your number one option. And he, you know, it, it, you don't necessarily think of him as one of those, you know, ball dominating big men, but he's not afraid to chuck shots. He will absolutely chuck shots. I, I think there might, might be some worry that the, the shot blocking regresses, right? Cause he was at three per yeah. game last year. And at the same time, he still was only playing 28 minutes a game. And if you hope slash figure um, that maybe he can control the foul issues, yep. get his wind a little bit better. And the fact that they just need him out there more without John Morant, like if he can get closer yep. to 33 minutes a game, that would be massive for him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Yeah, the minutes are exactly what I was going to bring up. And this was not something that was unique uh, to him last year, right? I mean, you could go all the way back to his rookie year. 26 minutes per game, 28 and a half, 23 and a half. That was the year that he only played 11 games, so it doesn't really count. 27, 28 last year. I mean, they've, they've been kind of strangely hesitant to extend him. And, and like you said, the foul issues have been a part of that. Although, you know, in terms of like fouls per minute, he, he's not at the level that he was his first two years where that was a, a big time issue where it felt like he had three fouls in the first half of every single game. But you know, it comes with the territory of just being an aggressive defender. And, you know, I, I think the the trade-off is, all right, yeah, he's, he's not going to play 35 minutes a game, but because of that aggressiveness, he's given you three blocks per game in 28 minutes. 
Right. There was um, early in his career, his first three years, he was over five fouls per 36. Now he's at 4.6 over the past two years. Yeah. Exactly. He's getting there. He's he is he is getting there. Yeah, by by like his age thirty three season, he'll he'll be playing you know thirty five minutes a game. I, I you know as I said at the top, you know I it's hard for me to to really have any qualms with with how the first round broke down. Um, you know I I'm a little hesitant on Kevin Durant, you know who went seventh overall. Uh, you know obviously on a per game basis, he's probably going to be a, a top five to seven player. I, I don't I don't think we're going to see a dramatic fall off from Durant. We haven't really seen that over the last couple of years, but he's in that zone for me where you just got to pencil him in now for what, at least 15 missed games. So, you know, again, I, I don't have a problem taking him in round one. I mean, you can make the same case for Anthony Davis who went 11th. I mean, Stephen Curry has, you know, sneakily missed a lot of games over the last few years. He went eighth, you know, you're obviously going to going to always have those questions about Embiid who went third. So it's not unique to Durant, but um, you know, to me, I, I would, I would probably be more comfortable taking him, in like the 10 to 15 range. But again, in, in a lot of drafts and a lot of mocks, he's just not going to be there. Yeah. He probably won't make it past the first round in like 90% of drafts. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And even if he does, you might have to take him on the turn. So if you want him, you're, you're just going to have to take him if you're in that range. Yeah. But I think the first round is actually really interesting this year because so many of the guys who finished like in the first round last year or are in contention to be in the first round this year are either older and or have injury issues. Mm -hmm. So like, even at number two, you want to take Joel Embiid. Some people think he's past his injury issues. I don't. I still think if you get 65 games out of Embiid, that's a huge win. Um, you know, Curry falls into this category in terms of older guys who get injured. Lillard, who you took, although you took him in the second round, obviously has questions um, about you know where he's going to play, but he's also mm -hmm. getting on the older side. We mentioned Durant. AD falls into this category. Um, so there are plenty of guys who in theory would be first round picks, but yep. the injury issues in the age are really just like they, they have these guys slip down the ranks. They do, but only so far because you know, the, the way that the league has trended the last few years, like it, it, you know, miss, if you only play 65 games, it's not that big of a deal because it's not like the rest of the first three rounds worth of players are all playing 75 plus, right? I mean, Joel Embiid right. played 66 games last year and still finished second in total value because yeah. Nikola Jokic played 69, SGA played 68. Uh, you know, Sabonis is fifth in total value because he's the outlier playing 79. But, you know, pretty much every marquee player was was in the 60s or, or maybe into the low 70s. Um, and, you know, some were even lower. You know, Curry played 56. Damian Lillard played 58. You know, obviously LeBron and Anthony Davis missed a ton of time. So I, I think the, you know, the, I, I think Embiid is probably the number one guy who benefits because I, I don't think we're ever going to see a 70-game season out of Joel Embiid, but if he could just continue to sit in that 65 range, it's not as big of a disadvantage now as it was five years ago, because every other player is also missing 10 to 15 games. Right. The concern for me with Embiid is almost more so about just the, the continuous uh, injury history, even missing mm -hmm. the first two years of his career. Like that's still, that still kind of means something to me, you know, with the foot yep. issue. Um, and there are other guys you know who, but the thing is, at any at some point in the draft, everybody has like there's just value. Like Kawhi yep. Leonard went in the third round, which I think is fine. Um, LeBron James slipped to like the middle of the third round. I think that's completely fine. Um, it's almost more so not necessarily like avoiding the guys who are going to play 65 games, but it's the guys who consistently play like mm -hmm. 77 games. Like Anthony Edwards has basically never. Right. Miss time. Mikhail Bridges never misses time. Guys like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, Buddy Heald is somebody I always try to grab, you know, in the middle rounds. Like, he's, he plays 75 to 80 games every single year, played 80 last year. I mean, he he's always a guy who has to be, like, the biggest gulf between his per-game value and his total value. I mean, he was, he was, he was 31st in eight cat total value last season. And, you know, he's typically drafted what, like the sixties or seventies. But he, I I mean, he's just somebody I I always want on my team because you know, your chances are, depending on how your first few rounds go, you're going to be light in some categories. And if, if three point shooting is one of them, I mean, you're, you're basically getting a guy who for the last five to seven years has been in the top five and made threes every single season. And being, being able to add a, a dominant single category guy like that with pick 75 is, is super rare. Like that just, that doesn't really exist for other categories. Yeah. Points and threes, you can find specialists later in the draft. Um, you know, like, um, uh, Keldon Johnson, who may, he might take a step back this year, but like that type of guy, or even Gary Trent, you know, like right. three and D guys, those guys fall farther down the draft. So early, you don't necessarily have to focus on those things because they they're easier to find late. Right. And I, I mean, I love Gary Trent. He's another guy. I always feel like I, I end up drafting late and, you know, last year he, he missed some time and, and really fell off down the stretch after the trade deadline, you know, kind of fell out of the starting lineup and, and was marginalized in Toronto. But uh, to me, I mean, there's a clear difference even between him and heel, like buddy heel hit 120 more threes than Gary Trent. So you, you can oh, find right. these, these category specialists who will, you know, they'll, they'll give you a little bump in a certain category. They'll keep you afloat. But I mean, buddy healed can you know, almost single-handedly not win you a category, but, uh, you know, if, if you're, like I said, if you come out of the first three rounds, maybe you go big man heavy, you're light on threes. Like he's, he's going to prevent you from, you know, in a roto league finishing in the basement in that category. So, um, you know, did, didn't necessarily want to, to divert and talk about buddy heel, but I, I just want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to put him on everybody's radar. Like he's until proven otherwise, he should be drafted. I think a little bit higher than he typically goes. Uh, so I, I was picking 10th in this mock. I, I was deciding between Damian Lillard and LaMelo ball at 10. I went LaMelo. And Lillard was still there for me coming back around in round two. Do, do you feel like there's still just kind of a, a little trepidation when it comes to Lillard, just not knowing what the situation is going to be? I mean, I, I think that there's still this possibility in the back of my mind that, all right, if, if a trade does not materialize before opening night, you know, do we see him suit up for Portland? Is, does he, is this kind of a Jonathan Taylor situation where he's just kind of being held out and waiting? That's a really good question. And why, some of these mocks early are really difficult to so say you can ask the same questions about like James Harden. Although I think there's yeah. probably a bigger chance that Harden like holds out or something. Um, it's tough because there's not many guys. Like if you didn't draft Lillard with your second round pick, finding a guy in the third with that kind of upside chances of that are pretty low. My, the thing is for me, like I feel like, this season, if there even if there were no concerns about like where he was going to play, like if it was just going to be another normal season for Lillard in Portland, I'd probably still look to take him in the second. So yeah. for me, with the uncertainty, like I would rather wait till the third. But again, if you wait till the third, like your third round pick was Laurie Markkinen, I'm not sure right. Lillard or a guy like that would have been in that zone. Yeah, I mean Lillard played 58 games last year and was incredible in those 58 games still finished as a top 10 players. So like I, I almost look at that as the worst case scenario. And, you know, if he goes to Miami, he's probably not putting up those same numbers. He's splitting usage with, with Jimmy Butler and bam, and, you know, potentially Tyler hero. If he's not involved in that trade. So I, I think the, the per game upside is probably a little bit lower if he's moved, but uh, I, I also think there's a, a pretty good chance that as long as this doesn't turn into a, an ugly situation that, that, you know, goes into the regular season that he's going to play more than 58 games. So I, I felt pretty good about getting Lillard at 15 overall. 
Uh, I mean, looking at these first three rounds, so top 36 picks, was there, was there anybody who came off the board that, that left you scratching your head? Because for me, I, I had a hard time really picking out anybody. Uh, not scratching my head. I mean, Wembenyama went at the end of the second round, which is yeah. pretty high. That's but too I've high tried, for me. It's too high for me, but I will say I've tried to make the comparison to Carl Anthony Towns in the past, where basically Carl Anthony Towns as a rookie was a second round value. Yeah, and but he, had, he also played 82 games, didn't he? I think it was per game. Per game, I think he was actually okay. a second round value. Um, but yeah, playing all 82 helps, which Wembenyama is not expected to. I mean, it sounds like they might take it not easy to. with his minutes and rest. Yeah. Um, but Towns also had nowhere near the defensive upside of Wembenyama, although it was Towns' best defensive year. He averaged 1.7 blocks per game. Um, and then Chet Holmgren went in the third, um, which to me is is also relatively high. At the same time, it's like both of these guys, Holmgren and Wembenyama, if they reach their defensive potential and are just mm-hmm. okay on offense in terms of like what we think they could be, those are going to end up being fine picks. Yeah, I, I, Holmgren's a good one. That that's probably the one that that should stick out for me because he went early in round three. Like I, I don't necessarily have a, have a problem taking Holmgren like in the the mid thirties. You know, I, I prefer to take him certainly in round four. Uh, you know, we we had him in the sixties in our our latest one fifty. I think we'll we'll probably end up having to bump him up a little bit uh, just just to you know avoid being like you know three rounds behind uh, on this guy. But I, I also think if you're taking Chet Holmgren with like you know the twenty fifth pick in a fantasy draft. I mean, you, you kind of need this to be a best case season. You know, I, I don't think there's a world in which he's exceeding value. Uh, you know, if, if you can get him at 50 in a draft and he has his best case season, then yeah, you're, you're probably getting two rounds worth of value. But I, I think even if everything goes right, he plays, let's say 72 games, you know, he's a monster on defense. It's like, <clears throat> is he really going to crack the top 25 overall, you know, as, as somebody who could be like the fourth or at times fifth option in that offense. So I, I he's a player I like, he's a player I'm still very high on. I, I just, I, I don't necessarily see the the true upside in taking him that high. I yeah, I think it comes down to the blocks. Like if he can actually yeah. average three plus blocks per game, you know, then I think it'd end up being fine. And actually, Steve um, Steve Alexander took both Wembenyama and Chet Holmgren back to back, so he's looking to get six blocks per game out right. of the way. Which is, I mean, hey, you got your center position locked up with two right. guys who could average a ton of blocks, and of course, both these guys have upside to average ten mm-hmm. rebounds and. You know, Wembenyama. Who knows? He could end up being like essentially the number one option on San Antonio. And if Holmgren, right. you know, pans out, there's going to be a lot of nights where Holmgren's essentially the third option, depending on how things shake out. Um, so, the, it's I think it seems early initially, but these guys, mm-hmm. even in, they aren't going to go that much. Um, like in most drafts, Wembenyama probably go in the third, and Holmgren will go in the fourth. So taking them around early is not crazy. Is Jaron Jackson, you know, kind of a, a, a statistical profile that, that you can expect for Holmgren? You know, you look at what Jaron Jackson did, you know, maybe not his rookie, but you, you look at like his second year or his fourth year after the, the basically lost season in 2021, um, you know, 2021-22 for Jaron Jackson, 16 points, six rebounds, one assist, uh, gave you 1.6 threes per game, 2.3 blocks. Like, is that a, a semi-reasonable expectation for Holmgren? I think it is. Yeah, and I actually think Holmgren could average more rebounds and more assists. I would say Maybe, more rebounds and fewer points. Yes. Yeah, fewer points for sure. Um, but who knows, man? I mean, like, the thing the thing about Holmgren is he's actually in a, a really advantageous situation for a guy as young as him playing the center spot just mm-hmm. because of the way OKC plays. Like, 
SGA and Giddy and even Jalen Williams are great ball handlers, great passers who are absolutely been looking for a guy that they can throw lobs to. It'll be really easy for Holmgren to get the ball. Like there have been teams in the past. You think of a guy like Jalen Duran, for example. Duran, after Cunningham goes out, is dealing with like a point guard crew of like Killian Hayes and Alec Burks and Jay and Ivy, and they can't give him the ball. And he's sharing a bunch of minutes with like Wiseman and Bagley towards the end of the season. Not a good situation. He still ended up being fine. But comparatively, Holmgren is in a position to have a really high, really high efficiency. He should be open plenty. Um, so the situation is is good for him. Yeah, it is. And I, I'm glad you brought up Jalen Dern because I, I, I do like him. Um, you know, there's still a fairly significant logjam. You know, I, I thought Detroit, you know, extending Isaiah Stewart was was questionable. I mean, I, I like Isaiah Stewart. I, I just I, I thought, you know, at some point they're going to have to consolidate. And to me, he would have been one of those guys, you know, because you also still have, you know, Marvin Bagley. You still have James Wiseman. Now, you know, maybe they don't really consider those guys part of their future. But th- there is still a little bit of a logjam for Jalen Duran. But, you know, in terms of just points, rebounds, blocks, um, I, I think the potential is there. And I think he's going to continue to get better this season. He ended up going toward the end of round nine in this mm-hmm. draft. So well after pick 100, uh, we got to talk Zion. I, I was shocked at how late Zion went. I mean, I, I thought you and I were, were pessimistic on Zion Williams. And we, we had him in the forties in our last top 150. I mean, we're, we're used to somebody, you know, always kind of reaching for Zion. You know, he was, he was the women Yama not that long ago. And, you know, ironically, it, it, it's almost like we need to flip-flop him and Chet Holmgren, at least based on how this mock went. Zion goes 70 overall. His ADP is 70 right now. I think, I think people, I think like the fantasy community collectively is just like, they they're done with Zion. I think the people who have drafted Zion in the past are like, I can't do this again. Yeah. And the people who aren't, who haven't been drafting Zion are like, why would I start drafting Zion now? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he falls to a point, which I think is between, you know, cause I think he has third round upside if he's healthy, oh, or yeah. I should say on a per game basis, he has probably second or third round upside. Um, but then you figure again, the injuries, maybe he plays 55, 60 games. It's just, it's really hard to, to analyze a guy like this super polarizing, but I think the sixth and seventh round is kind of when the draft opens up in terms of like, who are we really looking at besides Zion? Yep. Like the, uh, the high upside guys kind of go. So I think if you're going to take him, like this is, this is the spot. Yeah. I mean, if he had, if he had made it around to me in round seven, I absolutely would have. Oh, yeah. trigger. I mean, I, I, I came into this podcast ready to just say, I'm out, you know, I'm not taking that risk, it, it, you know, expecting him to be somebody that you need to take in the forties, which I, I just am not going to do. The league is too deep right now. There are too many really good dependable fantasy players uh, where you, you don't need to make that reach, but yeah, I mean, if he's going in the seventies, uh, this is a completely different narrative than how we've talked about Zion the last two years. I mean, the risk is is absolutely worth the potential reward uh, if you're talking, you know, end of round six. So we'll we'll see how much that holds up as we get closer to the season. I think if he if he stays healthy, if he's you know if he looks good in training camp, if he looks good in in what we see of him in the preseason, I think that people are going to get sucked in again uh, with Zion. And you know, like you said, the expectations are so low right now that even if he even if he plays like 55 games, that's going to feel like a win relative to these last two years. I think if you draft him in the sixth and you get 55 games out of him, that's a win. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, sixth round I think is appropriate for him. And like mm-hmm. you mentioned it, in the past, he, he's gone in like the fourth round with the injury concerns. But there are plenty of guys who went in the fourth round that have second round upside still. So don't feel like you have to go into the fourth round or something to mm-hmm. grab Zion. The player that I took uh, a few picks ahead of Zion in round six, Rudy Gobert. I got him at 63 overall. Uh, you know, I, 
nobody really loves drafting Rudy Gobert. I feel like we've you know, kind of kicked him to the curb collectively uh, as a fantasy community. But I, I, I do think there, I, I think there's a chance that he rebounds uh, literally this year. I, I mean, it was it went as badly as possible in year one with Minnesota. I mean, all, all of our fears I, I think were confirmed as far as you know not fitting in. You know, the blocks were down, everything was down. I, I view that as the baseline. I, I don't think it can get any worse. And, you know, I, this was a guy that, what, last year you had to draft in, I, I would assume, like the late 20s, early 30s. Uh, so, I mean, I am more than happy now to take him in the 60s. Yeah, last year on Yahoo, he was going like 28th, um, CBS 35. So, yeah, around that range. I, I'm with you, man. I mean, getting him in the sixth round, a guy with that much blocks upside, I think he basically, like you mentioned, hit his floor last year, um, playing only 30 minutes a game. Uh, again, it's just after Gobert... You know, this is, again, we're, we're focusing a lot on the sixth round, but there's just not that many centers left mm-hmm. after the sixth round that you have a ton of confidence in. Like, Brooke Lopez went later, but he's kind of old. You know, Rob Williams, when he has injury issues, Clint Capella, injury issues, could his role come back? Jakob Pertle, who you drafted again, uh, or you yeah. you drafted a... I actually, well, I think, I think, I think Gobert Pertle is a really good way to make sure your center position is like set because after that, you know, you're going to have to draft like Draymond or Mark Williams or Jalen Duran, like guys with way more question marks. Yeah. And that's exactly why I, you know, kind of double tap center in, in round six and seven. Like I'm not, I'm not the biggest Jakob Perto guy, but I, I felt like there was kind of a fall off after that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not the biggest Draymond supporter. I know every year he kind of overperforms what I expect and, I just think at some point that's going to to end up falling off. Uh, strangely, Daniel Gafford did not have center eligibility. He, yeah. He's power forward eligible only, so that that would have been another target. Um, and then, you know, of course, Jabari Smith for some reason has center eligibility. I, I would have been happy to grab him uh, in round eight, but yeah, it just it, it kind of felt like you know I had ignored center early in the draft. I needed to make sure I, I had some value there. So um, you know, getting Pirtle at the end of round seven, I'm not going to complain about it. Not super excited about it, but. Um, you know, somebody who I, I think, you know, with the way that this Toronto roster is shaping up, like I, I have no idea what direction this, this season is going to go for them, but uh, it, to me, he's pretty clearly the guy at center. And he's, he's always been somebody that he doesn't, you know, he, he's never really played 35 minutes a game and he hasn't needed that kind of workload to, to give you a ton of value, especially in terms of blocks. No. And the thing is, I mean, they have, they signed him to a four year, $80 million deal. So they're going to play yes. him. There's no sort of reservations about like, well, might he only see 22 minutes a game or 23 minutes a game? I think, I think you'll probably play like about 30 minutes a game on most nights. Yeah, and I think you know he doesn't have a ton of minutes upside. Like he, I don't think he's going to see 40 minutes in competitive games probably. But mm-hmm. again, at this point in the draft, like who else are you getting that you have any sort of confidence with? And um, yeah. you know, obviously the free throws are the are right. the negative for him, but he doesn't take that many, so it's not killing you. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I mean, he's, he's really made no progress as a free throw shooter throughout his career. He was at like 63% last year between the Spurs and the Raptors, but you know, 2.8 attempts per game. It's, it's, it's something to consider. I mean, he's not, it's not like he's taken one per game. I mean, 2.8 is enough that it, it is going to hurt you, but um, like you said, not, not going to absolutely tank you in that category. Uh, what did you make of the pricing in, in round four? You know, De'Aaron Fox to me was somebody that I was, I was hoping to get, um, and I actually had the decision. I had the opportunity to take him in round four and I, I went to Jante Murray instead. Um, I, I think Murray, you know, the, the transition to Atlanta, you know, obviously kind of 
kind of felt like, you know, going from being the guy in San Antonio to, to sharing the workload with Trey Young, among others in Atlanta, he kind of got lost in the shuffle, but another guy who plays a ton of games, you know, gives you a ton of steals, you know, still gives you assists. I, I actually thought he had an underrated year last year. So I, I had a tough time though, picking between Murray and Fox. I think they're pretty similar players in terms of like fantasy. Like they don't, you know, they're neither of them are like prolific three point shooters. Murray has more defensive upside, but Fox is like closer to a number one option. If not the team's number one option, depending on how you want to view him as and Sabonis It's kind of like a one, a one B situation. Um, Murray has the point guard shooting guard eligibility. So I think that works in your favor, but to me, both those guys, like that's kind of a wash. Um, I think Fox has more of a history of like injury issues and his free throw program shooting is worse, but um, you know, then, then the other argument would be, well, Fox is closer to a number one option than Murray. So I view those guys practically the same in terms of fantasy. So I think, um, I think what you did is fine. And I actually got sniped in this round as well. I wanted to take Jalen Brunson Mm -hmm. um, who I would have been doubling up at point guard with Trey young as well, but I wouldn't have minded. Um, uh, But I ended up with Ananobi. Uh, I also considered Evan Mobley in this spot as well, but I, I already had one center eligible player in Siakam. Um, and Anganobi has is more, it's weird to say, Anganobi is, I think, way safer and way more integrated into the office than offense than Mobley mm-hmm. is at this point, who is sort of like capped out as a third option um, right. behind Mitchell and, and Garland. Yeah, and we, we just didn't see the the step that we thought we would from Evan Mobley last season. And, you know, I, I think he's, he's probably the, the perfect example of somebody who's a lot more effective in real life than he is in fantasy. And my guess is that, you know, two, three, four, five years down the road, that's going to change. And, you know, once, uh, you know, the team context changes and, you know, he, he becomes more of a focal point as he develops for this team. I don't think he's somebody that you're going to be getting at the end of the fourth round for too much longer, but uh, you know, Cleveland is basically running it back with the same team. They added more depth on the wing. Like I, I don't think his, I don't think his role really changes uh, offensively next year. I don't think so either. And, uh, you know, I, uh, some of what I was doing in this draft, I was trying to evaluate like where guys kind of are in the hierarchy of the offense. Like, you know, guys who are kind of options one through three, their, their minutes or their, um, or their usage is scalable. And honestly, so I get Jared Allen in the following round. Allen is just as much of a third option in Cleveland's offense as Evan Mobley is. Um, yeah, pick and roll guy. They feed it to him in the post once in a while. He's basically a walking like 15 and 10. So yeah, I just, I, it's possible Mobley proves us all wrong. He's averaging like 19 points a game next year mm-hmm. with two blocks, but it's still, like you said, he's more impactful in, um, in real life than fantasy at the moment. I want to go back to James Harden. We, we briefly touched on him when we were talking about Damian Lillard. He went with the final pick in round two. So 24, overall in this mock draft, which again uh, happened on Wednesday, August 30th for reference. Uh, you and I both passed on him, of course, in round two. I, I, I didn't really consider him. I, I had the third pick of round two. So I was I was locked in on Damian Lillard at that point. I mean, McCall Bridges was still on the board. Trey Young was still on the board. That's who you ended up taking. Uh, did, did you give any consideration to Harden there? And just in general, like, how are you handling the situation? I mean, the hope is that by the time, you know, real drafts uh, you know, start picking up, in, in late September and, and into October that we have a little bit more clarity. But if, if for some reason you're doing a big money league uh, on, on August 31st, like what are you doing with James Harden? <laughs> so I will say I did, I did not give consideration to Harden because I still felt like there were other guys on the board who had first round upside. Uh, Trey Young, I think Sabonis had first round upside. I ended up taking 
uh, or, you know, I think Towns, probably not, but it's close. Um, and I probably just prefer Fred Van Lee over Hargan at this point. Hargan is tough because I, he was he was a first-round per-game value last year. The age is starting to catch up with him a little bit, I think. The injuries have been problematic. He had that hamstring thing going on. It's, you know, I, I, I would love to exhaust my options first. Like, I would really love to feel like I'm looking at everybody else on the board and I'm like, there's just yeah. no way that that this guy can reach the per game value of James Harden. And there, there, I think there were just other guys left on the board. Like even Jimmy Butler mm -hmm. who went in the middle of round three, I think, I mean, it, it per game basis is practically a first round player. So yeah. I just would rather wait, like kind of based on how this, on how this draft went. I actually think Harden and LeBron are, and like Paul George are kind of in the same tier to me. Yeah. Um, and I may have even considered Paul George over Harden, although George's injury history is a bit concerning. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I always struggle with George. I, I per game, you know, he, he remains awesome, but it, it just feels like you know we, we talk about penciling KD in for 15 missed games. I mean, with Paul George, it, it feels like 20 to 25 is the number. I, I would still take Harden first out, out of those three. And look, if we get to October and he's still talking about playing in China or sitting out the season, then then I'm backing off. I, I think that's probably the better comparison to Jonathan Taylor. Uh, with what's going on uh, in the fantasy football world right now. But I, I mean, I, I still think Harden has the high, like the highest floor and the highest upside among that three, provided that we get the situation figured out. I mean, this is, it's not unprecedented, but I, I just, Daryl Morey versus James Harden is like, these are two people that you don't want involved in the situation. Like neither right. of these guys are going to budge. Yes. Two. Uh, yes. Unstoppable force meets Im immovable object in terms of stubbornness. Um, I think is right. what's going on here, but yeah, as like a broader commentary on like, hey, I like this guy who I know has a certain upside, but there's injury issues or there's a holdout issue or one thing or another. My The way that I look at it is, again, is there anybody else on the board who theoretically could come close to the upside that that, that player in question has? And if there is, you should just draft that other player. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's how you should approach Harden, Lillard, Zion, Kawhi. Um, even like a guy like Rob Williams, um, yeah. for example. Uh, middle of round three, we saw Kate Cunningham come off the board, thirty-one overall. Uh, I like that value quite a bit. I, I, he's he's kind of somebody like like Chet Holmgren, who you know didn't really play last year. Uh, you're, you're taking a stab if you're if you're grabbing him in a draft, but there, I mean, there are a lot of people that love Kate Cunningham, just like there are a lot of people that that want Chet Holmgren on their fantasy team. I I thought it was possible that we would see him go in the in the back half of round two um, had he made it to me three picks later, I absolutely would have taken him instead of Laurie Markkinen. I, I was fine with Markkinen uh, toward the end of round three, but uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of back in on Kate Cunningham and it, it's hard to say why, because we, we've barely seen anything of him. You know, with, uh, there were reports that he, he played really, really well uh, as part of the team USA select group uh, that, that helped the FIBA team prepare uh, for the FIBA world cup. But that's really the only, only news that we've gotten on Kate Cunningham, but uh, you got to remember the pedigree. You, you got to remember, you know, his role in this offense. Like, I, I think he's going to step back in and be very, very clearly the guy in Detroit. So if you could get Kate Cunningham in the thirties, uh, I'm totally on board with that. A hundred percent. Like the only really issue in his game right now is just like general efficiency. Hasn't shot very well, but he's also had to force up a lot of bad shots through poor teammates, not being able to do the same. Dwayne Casey, I don't think ran a very 
great offense. Now there's a new coach in Monty Williams. I think that will help a lot. You know, Monty Williams coaching a guy like Devin Booker, who I think Cade Cunningham could play very similarly to. Um, so I think that will be good for Cunningham and clear number one option in Detroit. Like, I am more than happy to take Cade in round three. And I actually think he could probably go in round two. And I wouldn't have, I really wouldn't have anything bad to say about that. I think, you're, like, your only real concern, and we should mention the injury, right? But it right. sounds like, it sounds like other guys who have had that injury have recovered just fine. Sounds like the surgery um, is meant to strengthen it in a good way. I'm not really concerned about that. The only issue that I would have drafting Cade is I think the Pistons might be horrible again. Like the Pistons still might be the worst team in the league. Um, And so then you don't know about the tanking situation. But again, a guy as as talented as him, who's the number one option on his team, it's hard to like think about the tanking aspect too much when you're getting him in the third round. So with all that said, explain why you went Siakam one pick ahead of Cunningham. Uh, Just he's more proven and I think has like the same upside. As Cunningham, they're both okay. their number one options on their team. Um, uh, you know, Van Vliet exiting Toronto basically means Siakam's going to be the number one option. I don't know if Scotty Barnes is ready to take on more playmaking responsibilities. I think that's why they signed Schroeder. Yeah. Schroeder's also not that good. So I think there's a chance that, and I also drafted Anganobi for a similar reason. There's a chance that neither Barnes nor Schroeder do a great job at running the offense and that it just, mm-hmm more and more continues to fall on Siakam and Ananobi. Um, and also Siakam with the center eligibility actually kind of, you know, tips it for me a little bit, but that's, that was kind of the reasoning there. Schroeder for reference went in the middle of round 12, uh, around the same, same zone as Colin Sexton, Jaden Ivy, Jairus Walker, Ben Matherin, Amen Thompson, uh, which, I, you know, there, there's going to be some value there. I mean, they have no guard depth whatsoever in Toronto. Right. So I, I'm not the biggest Schroeder fan whatsoever. I, I actually, he's one of my least favorite players in the league to watch. <laughs> I don't really trust him possession to possession. We, we don't need to relitigate, uh, you know, his, his transgressions for the Lakers, but um, round 12, I actually think that's, that's pretty decent value. I mean, at that point in the draft, you're taking a lot of stabs, um, you know, like Al Horford, for example, went a couple picks after Dennis Schroeder. And I, I am of the belief that Al Horford uh, may in fact be washed. Uh, I, w- I want to go back to one of my picks in round five. I, I went, I kind of went sicko mode and it took Jordan Poole at 58. Um, I, I think if this was a real league that we were playing out, if money was on the line, I don't know that I would have made that pick. You know, Bradley Beal went a pick later. Uh, I'm actually pretty high on Bradley Beal relative to ADP. Franz Wagner, as we mentioned, went a couple picks after him. Uh, I, I like both of those guys. But the the two players who went at the top of round six, I, I kind of regret not taking one of them. Uh, Jeremy Grant, who was the first pick in round six. And I, I think assuming we get a Lillard trade is – probably going to have uh, or set up potentially for an all-time good stats, <laughs> terrible team season, because yeah, there, there's a lot of young guards. There's a lot of mouths to feed uh, in Portland between Scoot and Simons and Shaden Sharp. But I think Jeremy Grant is kind of the elder statesman and is going to end up being the the code number one option with Simons a lot of nights. And then the second pick in round six, Tyrese Maxey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I want to load up on Tyrese Maxey. You know, I've been doing a lot of best balls over at underdog. Uh, I've been grabbing a ton of Tyrese Maxey to me. He's, he's kind of the hedge for James Harden. You know, if this standoff, you know, goes into the regular season and James Harden is not available, or let's say the Sixers cave and they trade James Harden to the Clippers. And obviously the Clippers don't have much to send back. You know, it would be Norman Powell and Trey Mann or whoever. Uh, I, I think that would end up, you know, kind of catapulting Tyrese Maxey into uh, a borderline star role alongside Embiid. So on, on pool, his ADP is in the 50s. 
So it's not like he reached for pool. No, no, lots of other people like him there. Um, I would consider drafting him there. I'd be more of a Wagner guy just based on some of the stuff we talked about before with like positions. Like I think his upside is really good. I also, I'm with you on Beal. Um, Washington, you know, maybe they're a tank candidate. Kind of hard to tell right now, but that's how I feel about I'm, Portland as well. Like, yeah, I j- like Jeremy Grant's on my short list in terms of like guys I, I'm interested in drafting for sure. I think he fits a lot of good, like, he has a chance of, like you mentioned, being like a co-number one option if things end up a certain way. On the other hand, what if Scoot's really good and Simons and Sharp makes progress? I just, I feel like he could end up being a very similar player to he has in the past. But yes, Tyrese Maxey, I was looking to draft Maxey as well. I ended up with Cam Johnson. Um, I think both of these situations, the Lillard situation and the Hargan situation, put you in, uh, they allow you to do something that's more of a fantasy football thing, which is handcuff. Like, I think right. if you draft James Harden, you should do what you can to also get Tyrese Maxey. And same goes for Lillard. If you draft Lillard, I would say try to get Simons or try to get Scoot uh, or somebody like that. Um, but yeah, I again, I think all of those picks that we just talked about are com- are completely fine in that range and all have their own. Like, I think you can draft for like team need at that point. Mm-hmm. All right, we got to get out of here in, in about a minute. Any other values, reaches, players that you want to hit on before we step away? Uh, I, I'll say, I just still think there's a lot of value like late in drafts. And I think it's always important to, to draft guys who are good permanent players who could scale up, for example. Um, you know, like I drafted Colin Sexton late because there's a chance he plays 30 minutes. And is, is I, th- I think I drafted Colin options. Sexton. How oh, you drafted Colin Sexton. I'm, yes. I'm the guy who was always drafting Colin Sexton. So I yes, I've been taking him in every single best ball. It's like, I, yes. it could go badly, but you could get him in like round 12 or 13. So I'm 100% with you, obviously. Um, uh, Malcolm Brogdon's another guy for me. It's like, yeah, he might get hurt, but if he plays 30 minutes a game because their guard depth is bad, he could be mm-hmm. like the 50 or 60th player. So yep. guys who are good per minute who could scale up, I think those are the guys you really want to draft yep. late. Yeah, you took Nas Reed in round 13. I love that mm-hmm. one. I mean, that is somebody that they are heavily invested in. I think you are, you're getting Nas Reed as a hedge for... Carl Anthony Towns or Rudy Gobert getting hurt or one of those guys, probably Towns, uh, being traded at some point, which, you know, it's not likely, but it's it's possible. I think he's the name that continues to be batted around. If they get off to a slow start and, and want to shake something up, I think he's a, a hell of a lot easier to move than Rudy Gobert. And and again, there, there's an investment. You know, they, they kept Nas Reed around at a, a pretty hefty price for a guy who's, you know, ultimately like your third center. Uh, and obviously he could play power forward as well, but um, I, I, he's somebody I, I love targeting late in drafts. I think of, of all the players that went in round 13, I think he has probably the highest upside. You know, we're, we're talking about a lot of kind of retread guys, you know, it's like Steven Adams, you know, you get the rebounds, but you know what you're getting there. Bogdan Bogdanovich, you know, we could, we could kind of dream on that every year, but he's kind of just a guy at this point, Isaiah Stewart, Davion Mitchell, like I'm not really in on the upside on either of those. So yeah, I mean, getting Nas Reed that late in the draft, I thought was a great pick by you. Those are the guys to target. Yeah. All right, man. It's good to be back in the saddle talking some hoops. I've yeah. been talking so much football these last few months <laughs> that uh, I've kind of been in, you know, ignoring my my true passion, which is the NBA. But we'll be we'll be putting more of these out over the next few weeks. We'll continue to uh, you know do some mock drafts. We'll publish the the results of those. We'll do some Q and A's, and you know our preseason content is really going to start picking up in a couple of weeks. Here, we'll be putting out a ton of articles. You can find all of those, of course, at RotoWire. You know, they'll be going out to to Yahoo, CBS, NBA.com as well. So uh, we ask you to support those, you know, subscribe to the pod, check us out on Sirius XM. We'll have 
the Rotowire NBA show coming back in a couple of months over on Sirius XM NBA. Uh, really, really excited to be hosting that again with you, Alex. It'll be fun.